Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. And it makes sense in our sinful nature to react that way. I think about many people in the Bible who reacted in the flesh in in different circumstances in our lives. And I think about Apostle Peter reacted in the flesh when Jesus Christ was taken captive. And all disciples fled except for the Apostle John. And within a few hours, this man who was willing to go to prison with Jesus, and a man who was willing in every way to die with Jesus, but he denies the Lord three times after just a few hours. And this man reacted in the flesh in pride. I think about Jonah reacted in the flesh when he was commanded to go to Nineveh. The spiritual thing to do is to obey the Lord, no matter how hard the circumstance and no matter what the difficult, I guess, uh, 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 devices that might be against you. You go and uh, live for the Lord and obey the Lord. But the Bible says he went down to Joppa and took a ship to Tarshish. And if you kind of think of the land of Israel today and just think about going through the Mediterranean Sea and trying to go towards Spain and also the Isle of Britain. And that's where Tarsus was back in those days. I mean, he was willing to go far away as possible from the will of God. How did he react? Not in the spirit, of course, but in the flesh. I think about David reacted in the flesh when it was time for kings to go to war. Instead, he stayed back and caught in the temptation of adultery. And he saw Bathsheba bathing and and uh, in every way i mean what was he doing at nighttime in the rooftop and what was he looking for and and i don't think he was truly in any way trying to meditate uh, uh concerning biblical principles or even god i think uh he was somewhat relaxed in his flesh and and also in his life and then he was caught in that temptation of adultery and uh, the bible is very clear we ought not to make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof because our flesh is dangerous my friend and we must make sure that we put on the lord jesus christ and uh yes flesh is already with us but we got to put on the lord jesus christ that will uh put down uh this weak vessel of ours so that we may be submitting to the holy spirit i think about samson in the bible reacted in the flesh when he was enticed by delilah and over and over again, uh, he says some different answer, but finally he gave in to the temptation and he was careless in the flesh. And it's amazing what the Bible says, th- uh, thinking about Samson. The Bible records in Judges chapter 16, verse 20, after his locks of hair, hair was cut, it says, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself as he wished not that the Lord was departed from him. And uh, he thought that he still had the power of God. He thought that he still had the blessings of God, but he didn't. And uh, why? Because he reacted in the flesh. Oh, my friends, the flesh is truly deceitful, and it is dangerous. Oh, Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians in history, says in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good. There's nothing good about us. We alone, there's nothing good about us. And the only person that is good is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives in our heart. 
and thank our, our, for our Savior uh, who is in heaven, but thank God His Spirit dwells within us, and His Spirit is holy, and we must make sure that we submit our lives to Him in holiness, and that we give our lives to Him as much as possible, so that uh, we do not react in the flesh, but we react in the Spirit. And uh, now, if we have received Christ as our Savior, like I've said before, we are commanded to walk in the Spirit, and we have option of having the Spirit lead us and also help us to react in the Spirit rather than the flesh. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, I think it's in the slide here. Let's read this together. Ready? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Uh, if we have Christ in our hearts, hey, we're living in the Spirit. Okay? We're eternal beings. Yes, we have death coming, but that's just a transition. And uh, we have eternal life waiting for us. And thank God for the Holy Spirit who seals us. We're living in the Spirit. And Apostle Paul says, now if you live in the Spirit, then we must what? Walk in the Spirit. You must be led by the Spirit of God. And you must make sure you are submissive to the Spirit of God. And uh, yes, Brother Mike, if I could help you with the phone there, and uh, maybe you could turn that off, that'd be great. And, uh, uh, and the Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, let's look at the next slide. It says here, this I say then, walk in the spirit and he shall not fulfill the lust of the what? The flesh. If you are walking in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And ladies and gentlemen, we must make sure we rely on the spirit more. Because our natural tendency is to react in the spirit. In the, in the flesh. And that we go back to the fleshly living and the fleshly reactions. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, walking in the Spirit is possible. And because He is dwelling within us, I heard about a little girl named, I mean, I'm sorry, a little boy named Adam going up to a new doctor's office with a fever. And the doctor started to, uh, started the checkup and he, he decided to have some fun with the boy so that he won't feel awkward on the first visit. And the doctor looked in his ears and said, who's in there, Donald Duck? He said, no. And he looked in his nose and he said, who's in there, Mickey Mouse? And he again, and he again said, no. He put his uh, uh, stethoscope on his heart and he said, who's in there, Barney? And Adam replied, no, Jesus is in my heart and Barney's on my underwear. And uh, as we think about this boy, you know, uh, he knew as a Christian that Jesus Christ lived in his heart. And because he lives in our heart, that we could walk in the Spirit. And that availability is there. And, and uh, 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 we have the access of being filled with the Spirit as well. It is possible my, my, possible, my friend, because the Spirit of God lives within us. And not just possible, but it is truly reliable. Our reactions will truly be different when we, walk, when we are filled with the Spirit. And you can count on the Lord to help you to walk in the right spiritual reactions. And you could truly have that love that you want and that you desire, not the fleshly love, but the Spirit's love. You could have that joy. You could have that peace. You could have that long-suffering. You could have that gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. You could have the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God, and you could walk in the Spirit. It is possible, yes, but also it is reliable. The fruit of the Spirit is reliable. You're doing it in your flesh, my, in, in the flesh, my friend. You'll uh, only go so far, and uh, you need the Spirit's help. You need to react in different circumstances, maybe different trials and different complicated situations in the Spirit, not in the flesh, because without the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. 
And we have a relevant story from the Old Testament that will help us today. And this, chap, uh, and this character named Jeroboam truly did evil in the sight of the Lord. And, uh, and uh, God's favor was for him. And God's promise was there for him as well. But in his own fleshly imaginations and discernment, he didn't react in the spirit. He reacted in the flesh. It was a wonderful time of opportunity where he could truly serve the Lord. He wasn't going through some trials or health conditions. He wasn't going through any of that, my friend. But he was in a very good spot in a time where he could truly have an opportunity to serve God and lead his people. But he reacted in a very fleshly way and in a very terrible way. And I, could, I think we could learn from his life this morning. How can we avoid reactions like Jeroboam? I'd like to share with you three unspiritual and fleshly reactions of this king named Jeroboam. If I could get the AC on, that'd be great. Number one, he reacted with fearful considerations. He reacted with fearful consideration. Now, I want you to have your Bibles open. First Kings chapter 12, we're going to go through verse by verse. And let's look at verse 26 and verse 27. If you don't have your Bible this morning, it's up on the slide as well. It says, and Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to the sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Now, so the backstory of this man Jeroboam and Rehoboam is this. And if you don't know the story of these two characters, let me just briefly explain it to you. You see, King Solomon, the previous king before Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and uh, of course was one of the wisest men, but he did a very foolish thing in having 700 wives and then 300 concubines. And, uh, and the Bible says he was a very prosperous man. He had many mansions. He had many wealth. And he was able to have that many wives as well. Now, the biggest mistake is this. He, he got those wives from other countries who served different gods of their land. And the Bible says that these wives turned their, his hearts, I'm sorry, his hearts away from the Lord in serving different idols. Now, for the sake of David, the Bible says, man, David was a great character of the Bible. God's favor for David was truly there, and he was truly a, 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 a man after God's own heart. For the sake of David, God says, Solomon, you'll not have the trouble in your family or in your lifetime, but your son, Rehoboam, and uh, your family line after that, they'll have trouble. And what, happened to the, what, what will happen to the kingdom is that Judah will be left over by himself because there is uh, uh, 11 tribes at that time. And uh, Judah will be left by himself. And the other tribes will depart from you. And they will have their own king. So the, the nation will be divided, God says. Okay? So there is a northern kingdom and then there's a southern kingdom. The kingdom is called Judah, the southern kingdom is. And the northern kingdom is called Israel. If you read the Bible in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicle, 2 Chronicle, that's what Israel is called, the northern kingdom. So, the kingdom of Judah is reigned by Rehoboam, and the kingdom of Israel is reigned by Jeroboam. Okay? Now, how did it all come about? Well, basically, Solomon died. 
And then Rehoboam came into the scene. He becomes king. But then Jeroboam comes out of Egypt. He was fleeing away from Solomon but because he made some insurrection. And he, came, he comes back to Judah. And then he gathers all the other tribes outside of Judah and goes to the king with the elders and say, Lord, I mean, uh, I mean uh, uh, King Rehoboam, would you be easy on us? Would you take off the load from us? And uh, would you in every way be, deal kindly with us? And uh, we will serve you forever if you do so. And Rehoboam thinks for a moment. He says, I want you to come back on the third day. And then he seeks counsels with the older men who knew Solomon. And the older men says, I want you, hey, King, if you are uh, in every way dealing kindly with them, enlighten their burdens, they will serve you forever. And then, after he takes that counsel, he hears the counsel, he goes to the younger men. And the younger men says, no, 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 no. We need to be more harsh on them. Okay. And we need to, in every way, chastise them and put, put more burdens on them. And let them know that you're the king. Guess what Rehoboam does? Does he take the older men's counsel or the younger men's counsel? The younger men. Now, this was of the Lord, the Bible says. And because God, God foretold, hey, the kingdom will be divided. And this was the way it was going to be. And so Rehoboam listens to the younger men and, and then goes to, uh, 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 and goes to Jeroboam and then says, all right, I'm going to put more harsh work on you. I want you to know that, hey, my father chased you with whips, but I'm going to chase you with scorpion tail. And I, wanna, I want you to know that I'm going to uh, 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 be the king, and I'm going to really reign over you. And guess what Jeroboam says? What do I have to do with Judah? And they, he just, they just simply walk away. And they start their own kingdom. So the house, I guess, the, I'm sorry, the nation of Israel is divided. So Jeroboam, in every way, has the favor of God. Because God promises him, hey, I want you to know that I will be with you if you're with me. So now here he is, and here's Jeroboam after the kingdom is split. So as we think about what he does here, it's amazing. He, in every way, goes uh, uh, to think that his people will go back to Judah and serve King Rehoboam. He lets fear take hold of him. And there was a problem. The yearly sacrifice and worship was to be done in Jerusalem. And he imagines and concludes that if the people of the north goes to the south, Jerusalem, to worship, then their hearts will turn to King Rehoboam. So he imagines this in his heart. And he is, in every way, fearful of what is to come. So, the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. So in, instead of relying on the Lord and what he knows, he, re- he realizes that, hey, I'm going to do these things in my own way because I fear that my people will go down to Jerusalem and start serving uh, uh, the Lord there, and at the same time, their hearts will turn again to Rehoboam. Now, as we think about this situation, it's amazing how we in our lives as well get, our, uh, get ourselves into trouble because of fear, because of our own imaginations. And it's not by love, it's not by joy of God, it's not by knowledge, it's not by truth, but by fear we make hasty decisions and we make the wrong decisions in the flesh. 
And as we think about how fear takes over our lives, I want you to know that it's going to create doubt and it's going to bring forth a wrong execution of the solution at hand. I think about what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, your fleshly mind will bring up different imaginations due to fear, and you're going to think that's more real than the Word of God. You're going to think that it's more real than what God has told you to do. But I want you to know that this Word of God right here is much more sure word than your own imagination. And we must make sure that we recognize that God is the potter and we're the clay. And He knows what's best. And we need to not have fear in circumstances like what Rehoboam had. But we need to have faith in knowing that if we trust Him, He will bless us. And uh, but Jeroboam uh, did, a, did, a, did a terrible thing in, 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 in trusting his fear and his own imaginations. And, uh, and through fear, we sometimes become delusional as well. And we can be fearful of what has not already happened. And I, I hope you're understanding what I'm talking about. Fear starts creating some different scenarios in our minds. And think, hey, tomorrow this is going to happen. Next week that's going to happen. Hey, let me do something about this. And when you react in fear, you do it in a fleshly way. Rather than the spiritual way, relying on the Lord and praying. I want you to avoid that kind of life as a Christian. Don't react to fear. React in faith. Live for the Lord and pray and seek the Lord. I think about in history, it is recorded that the Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin, I'm sure many of you know, he feared for his safety so much that in his residence in Moscow, he contained eight bedrooms. Each night, Stalin chose a bedroom at random to ensure that no one knew exactly where he was sleeping. And can you imagine living a life like that? I mean, he had all the power, but he slept in different rooms every day because he felt that he would be executed or murdered. What a terrible way to live, living in fear all the time. And that's how the world lives, my friend. But as a Christian, we have a choice to live in faith, not in fear. Oh, we must realize that in many circumstances, we can have fear. And, uh, but we must recognize also that it is a mere feeling and imagination rather than reality. And when we don't think reality, we take the wrong route in our journey. And through fear, we make hasty decisions. And through fear, we make harmful decisions. Let's look at the next slide. Let's read this scripture together. Ready? 2 Timothy 1.7. Let's read this together. And let's really uh, 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 put this scripture in our hearts. Let's read it together. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. Rely on that verse when you are relying on fear. God has given you power, love, and sound mind. That's what God offers to you. That's what God wants you to have. And don't think that God is thinking evil concerning your situation. No, God thinks good concerning everything that you go through in life. Because all things work together for good to them that love God. God is love, not God is not fear. I know we're supposed to have the fear of the Lord, to respect the Lord and have reverence, but 
in circumstances like Jeroboam or maybe in different trials in our life, I want you to know that it is very important that we rely on the Lord and also in his love because he is full of grace. I think about 1 John four eighteen as well. I think we have it in the slide. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out what? Fear. But fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. May the love of Christ secure us. Amen. May we be locked down in the love of Christ. And let us not imagine things that has not already happened. And react to those things in fear. And make the wrong decisions at the wrong time. And that's what Jeroboam did. And he reacted in the flesh. And one way was to have fear. Number two, not only did he react in fear, but he reacted in faulty counsel. He reacted with faulty counsel. Verse 28, it says here, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, to the people of Israel. Now, when God visited Jeroboam, he gave him a promise as he was to be the king over the other tribes. Now, I want you to go to your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 11, all right? And uh, I hope you have your Bibles open to 1 Kings chapter 12, but let's look at 1 Kings chapter 11. Let's look at verse 36. Let's look at that together. It says here, Unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. Verse 37, And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all thy soul desireth, God's favor is there, and shall be king over Israel. Verse 38, 1 Kings 11, verse 38. And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statue and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. So God is not a respecter of persons. God promised to Jeroboam, if you do as my servant David did, and and then I will be with you, and I will build you a sure house. Your family, your lineage will be blessed. Is God for real? Yes, He is. He is giving him His word, and His word never returns void, unless we are stubborn enough to go away from His promise. Now, instead of remembering God's promise to him, Jeroboam, in fear, he relied on the counsel of men and led himself away from the Lord. So he had fear, and then he sought faulty counsel. And this counsel led the people of God to go astray from proper worship. And ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life is about worship. That's one of the reasons why God saved us. This is a worship service. You have your devotion. That's worship. You have your testimony at your workplace. That's worship. And uh, in every way, you raise your family in a godly manner, in a biblical manner. That's worship. Worship is not just Sunday morning. Worship is your Christian life. And, uh, and the Bible says in John 4, 23, Jesus Christ talking to the woman at the well, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. And uh, God has sought you when you're lost, and you're saved, and you're sitting in blessed assurance today, and thank God for that. And as we're sitting in blessed assurance, let us make sure we are assured of one thing as well, that we're living a life not for ourselves, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we're worshiping Him, worshiping him everywhere we go. 
And when we go astray in the flesh, one part of the, uh, the, the, the Christian life suffers. And when the Christian life suffers, we suffer in worship. And America is becoming more confused about worship than ever before. And we're becoming more pluralistic and tolerant towards what is true. I read in an article this past week, if you go to the next slide and I'll read it to you. A satanic group commissioned a statue of the devil raising money to pay a sculptor who it won't identify as a way of protesting the Sooner State's placement of a Ten Commandments monument on the State House lawn in Oklahoma City. So in reaction to the Ten Commandments, they said, all right, we're going to also build a statue of Satan. These Satan worshipers. The statue being sculpted in a New York studio is nearly complete, according to Lucian uh, uh, Greaves, spokesman for the Satanic Temple. I want you to go to the next slide. Here's a picture of the statue. This is for real. The Satanic group wants to, in every way, be respected and even have their worship or even their idol to be reverenced among other, other, other gods of the land. And if you're going to have Ten Commandments in the, I guess, the state building there, we could have the statue of Lucifer there as well. And look how deceitful this is. These two little children looking toward Lucifer. And by the way, you can't see it, but article says that these two children are actually smiling toward the the statue. Ironic, isn't it? As much as our country has become tolerant and become pluralistic, I think Satan is after the next generation. It's after our children. I think in every way it's not coincidental that the, that the sculptor made these two children to look toward Lucifer this way. I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but it's very obvious that Satan has great power over this land right now in higher places. And we're going to pray for our election this November. I'm not trying to be political. I don't want to bring political into the church. But we've got to pray for our nation. We've got to pray that the, uh, uh, the right senators and the right uh, House of Representatives will be voted in this November. That they fear the Lord. And that they fear the Scripture. And they fear God's promises and also God's curse. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, let us make sure that we as Christians, we truly worship the Lord in a proper manner. And we worship only one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we live for one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we let others know that Jesus Christ is still living today. And that they could worship Him. And that they could also have eternal life like we do. Oh, we need to do that more than ever. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a very wicked society And they don't know what true worship is. But we do. And we must let others know of the true worship. And Jeroboam in the story. And the divisive plan and faulty counsel through fear. Hey, we'll make different idols. We'll make different worship. And we'll have the people of Israel not go down to the south, but stay with us on the north. I think about, first of all, we have convenience. Convenience. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. So, in fear, he reacted and said, hey, I want some counsel here. And some people gave him counsel. Why don't we just set up our own worship here in Israel? And by the way, concerning the, the state's room about the Ten Commandments and the satanic, uh, uh, I guess, uh, 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 the statue that is there. Hey, 
I guarantee you, some of those people in Oklahoma, especially those who are in, uh, in the legislature, I guess, position, they're somewhat fearful of this situation. I hope they don't give in, God's people say. So, you know, uh, as we think about Jeroboam, he had fear, and he said, you know what, we're going to devise a plan. Now, this is a fleshly plan, but it's going to work. And uh, uh, what we're going to do, we're going to set up our own worship. So the presentation was this. It is too much for you to travel so far and appeal to Jerusalem, which is a higher elevation than any other countryside or maybe in the land of Israel. And, uh, and, and he says, here is more of a convenient place. And I want you to know, in the place of Dan, we'll set up a worship, which is the farthest north of the northern kingdom. And I want you to know, in Bethel, we're going to set up uh, a worship, the farthest south of the northern kingdom. If you go to the next slide, you'll see the map here. You see, Dan is on the very north side of Israel, and Bethel is right on the border of Judah. So, he made it very convenient for the people. Don't go down all the way to Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, go up to Jerusalem, which is higher elevation. You don't need to climb that uphill elevation there. No, just stay in Bethel, my friend. Stay in Dan, my friend. Let's have convenient worship. And ladies and gentlemen, we live in an era at this time where we're seeking convenient worship too. Oh, three services too much. Witnessing? No, too much. We can't witness. No, no way. There's got to be a better way, easier way. Reading the Bible every day? No, I just want to hear the preacher every Sunday. Praying every day? Ah, oh, that's not too much. That's not good. That's too much for me. Don't you know my schedule? No Sunday school. We don't need that. We don't need Bible study. We don't need life connection. Oh, we don't need more fellowship. One service will do. We don't need night service. We don't need Wednesday night. Oh, the night service cannot be in, uh, in every way. Uh, 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 you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Why, why, why does the night service have to be night service? Why can't it be two o'clock service or something like that? I'm not trying to be traditional here, my friend, but, you know, whatever the church has set up concerning worship, we're not burning about the schedule, but we're excited about the worship. We're excited about the worship. You worrying about the church schedule reveals to us or reveals to yourself that you are fleshly and not of the Spirit. And whatever happens concerning the church, I hope you follow through and say, Lord, if that's the time that you have given us to worship you, we want to worship you. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that we live in a very terrible society where they're always seeking convenience. And, and I think about TV preachers, and I'm not against them. Some of them have some good things to say. But I believe in face-to-face fellowship with other Christians. That's the church. Call that assembly, gather together. Many people are convenient enough to just stay back at home and watch the TV preacher. I'm not saying that they're not preaching the truth. Not not all of them are like that. But in every way, I think it's very important to worship together face to face and also really have this church as a local assembly. Oh, it's very important that we do not have just convenient worship, but a worship that is full of conviction and a a worship that is truly God-honoring and also a worship that is not a burden but a blessing. And Jeroboam devised a plan. Don't go down to Jerusalem. Don't go up to that hill. No, we'll stay in Bethel. We'll stay in Dan. They're closer. It's easier to travel. We'll stay where we are. And the people said, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. 
I wonder if it was convenient for our Savior to go to Golgotha. I wonder if it was convenient for him to be spit upon. I wonder if it was convenient for him to be mocked and be scourged and be nailed and be thirsty and to be lonely and to be out of breath for those three hours as he hung up on the cross. I wonder if it was a convenient task for him to save the uh, uh, humanity of this world. Now we know the answer to those. It was not convenient. Now if Christ gave himself inconveniently so that we could have eternal life, why don't we worship him when things are inconvenient as we live this life? Why are we so, in every way, complaining here, complaining there? Why don't we have the joy of the Lord in worshiping the Lord? I'm in the same Spot as well, and uh, I'm of the flesh as you are, and I I get in the mode of the flesh. Even yesterday, I got in the mode of the flesh here and there. But I must get back to the throne of grace and to realize, hey, Christ did not save me, endure all that pain so that I could complain about everything concerning my Christian life and what I need to do for the Lord. No. That Jesus Christ endured that cross with joy, in saving all human, uh, in, in providing salvation for all humanity, I think I could have joy in the Lord and serving Him while I live here. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, don't seek convenience, seek conviction, seek passion, seek joy. Secondly, characterization, characterization, verse twenty-eight, verse twenty-nine. It says, "And made two calves of gold and said unto them." Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Notice how many gods, not one, but two. The gods were made of what? Gold. And the Bible says there were gods, not one god, but pluralistic here, gods and gold. Significant, I think. I think America, even today, could truly learn from this lesson. Because America worships the same way, we have gods, okay, pluralistic worship, Okay? If you believe that form of belief in your heart, it is true. And uh, we have gods. And then also we have gold. And America truly worships treasure and money of this world. And we might not have a golden calf in front of our homes today, but we sure do have different gods and golds in our hearts. Also notice what he says here. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. You know, when I read this in my devotion this week, this sounded very familiar. Go to your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. In verse 1. Yeah, it's in the slide as well in just a few verses, but I want to look at verse 1 through 4. Only verse 4 is up there, but let's look at Exodus chapter 32. The Bible says, verse 1 through 4. So with this faulty counsel, Jeroboam worshipped gods and gold. And it sounds so familiar because in Exodus 32, 
It's the same way, if you look at verse 1, after the Israelites got out of Egypt in verse 1, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto them, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we will not what has become of him. So they said, you know what? Not, he's not going to come back. I don't know what happened here. So in fear, they react again, just like Jeroboam. Look at verse 2. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the gold earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, of your daughters, bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron, and received them at their hand, and fashioned with graving tool, after he had made it a, what, what is it? Molden calf. And they said, these be thy gods. Let's, let's say the last phrase together. O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now, where was Jeroboam dwelling before becoming king of Israel? He was dwelling in Egypt. And Egyptians worshipped what? Cows. One of the gods were cows. If you look in the book of Genesis, the uh, 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 um, Joseph's brothers, as they were invited to go, uh, come to uh, 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 Egypt, Joseph said, don't tell them that you're shepherds because Sheep are abomination to Egyptians. They worship cows. Okay? Lambs and sheep don't mean anything to them. They're abomination, actually. So Jeroboam saw that as he was dwelling in Egypt, and he comes back and brings the world into the worship for Israel, and then says, All right, here are your gods. I'm going to build, hey, we have made golden calves. Two of them, one in Dan and Bethel. I want you to know these are the gods that brought you. Out of the land of Egypt. Now, what are you getting at, preacher? Why did Jeroboam say, these be the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt? Because in every way, if you think about that phrase, it's a picture of salvation. Out from the world, you are called out assembly. Okay? Because all the Israelites knew when they were delivered from, God, uh, delivered from the land of Egypt and, and to belong to the Lord and be sanctified to the Lord. And as we think about that, it's a picture of salvation for us as well. And as we live in a perfect society, many people will say, hey, this book will help. This philosophy will help. This principle will help. And many Christians will start reading into all that and start studying all that. And, and, and in every way, gain knowledge outside of the Bible. And they said, those things help me. Those things really help, really uh, uh, gain a, a, a spiritual understanding for me. But it contradicts the scripture. And they would in every way would claim that it is legit and also it is true when it obviously contradicts the scripture it is outside from what god has said and i'm just simply saying as we live in a pleasant society that is the danger of it all there are many books there are many philosophy but we got to be very discerning concerning what principle we adapt to when and what philosophy we learn because in many ways the devil is very deceitful did you know that the devil could translate himself and transcend himself into an angel of light he could say, I will help you, I will help your marriage, I will help your children, and I want you to know I will give you the blessings. And he will use worldly philosophy, even his own philosophy, to do it, and you're going to think that it will work, and it's going to work, and it might, in every way, help your families, but in the ultimate, it is not of the Bible. 
Jeroboam said, hey, these are the gods that helped you to come out of Egypt. And many people in this land even today are saying, these are some books and philosophy that will help you too. Don't just read the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, it is very important that we have conviction concerning the word of God. And there is own. There is, and, and, and the Bible says, Jesus Christ says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. There's only one truth. It is the Bible. And we need to stick with it, God's people say. And we need to keep dear to this book. So with that, convenient worship. The characterization of this worldly, worldly worship. And number three, I'm finished today. He reacted with forward compromise. Verse 30, and this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. So he tried to justify his fleshly way by having compromise. So first of all, we see the compromise with low reverence. He made a, high, a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people and were not of the sons of Levi. You see, God is worthy. Do you believe that? And we need to reverence our God. We don't need to just cut him, call him buddy. He is our God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And uh, as we think about this scripture here in verse 31, hey, he said, we have some priests here. They're not the sons of Levi. That was very important for God. Because in every way, he wanted to make sure that these people were in, 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 in going through the Levitical priesthood and, and obeying, uh, obeying every, I guess, uh, 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 a commandment that was given to these priests. But uh, uh, Jeroboam uh, uh, made other people, not of the Levi, priests. And, and God's reverence was in every way lowered down. And the standards of these people went a little bit more worldly. And the worship became more cold. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, our God is holy. And if God is holy, then we need to truly worship Him in a way that is truly God-honoring and God-fearing. And uh, many times when we are fearful, we could take faulty counsel, and, and we in every way go through this process of compromise in our lives. And we compromise some standards in our lives, too. We compromise drinking. Oh, it's okay for me to drink here and there as long as I don't get drunk. It's okay for me to smoke marijuana. Oh, I mean, the government in Colorado is legalizing it. I mean, the whole land will start smoking marijuana soon. Puff here and there, it really eases me and really helps me. Oh, I could worship the Lord anytime and anywhere. And I don't need to go to church. doesn't matter. You lower the standards in everything that you do. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's very important that we worship God who is worthy, and He is worthy today. And He will be forevermore. Number two, I'm finished here in this last point. Did I say that already? I know. And I'll, I'll keep on saying it until I'm finished. Amen. But compromise with likeness. I'm done. I'm truly done. In verse 32, it says, And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. You see, the sacrifices took place on the same day as the sacrifices of Judah. Jeroboam probably said, This is the same thing. The same thing. It's just like the worship that you were involved in Jerusalem. This is the same thing. But it was just an outward appearance. And ladies and gentlemen, we can look like a Christian. We can act like a Christian. But are we truly a Christian inwardly? 
Are we born again? Do we truly have that proper worship in the Spirit? You see, God is of the Spirit. And in this point, if you're not saved this morning, and you have never received Christ as your personal Savior, I want you to know God is seeking you to worship Him. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to cleanse all your sins and forgive all your sins and so that you could have eternal life and not have eternal hell. God wants you to be saved. God doesn't want you to just act like a Christian. He wants you to be a Christian. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I wonder if there's somebody here today who have not truly received Christ. You're compromising everywhere. Hey, this is me and this is my Christian life, or you could call it Christian life on the weekend, but you're not truly a Christian. Oh, I want you to know God knows who you are, and God wants to save you. And God knows who are the weeds and the shaft. God knows who are the lamb and the goats, and he will separate them one day. I wonder where you will be. I hope you'll be at the right hand of the Father. Because those who are on the left hand, the shaft and the goats, God will say, depart from me, ye that do iniquity. Where would you be?